I'm going to touch on a subject that really uh, uh, matters a great deal to me and, uh, and, and will do to you too. And we talked about a little bit uh, Youth for Christ and what we do across this country and our desire to see young people's lives changed by Jesus. Our mission is to take good news relevantly to every young person. And the word relevant there can be a challenge. How do we take the good news in a manner in which people can receive and make sense to them in their context in a changing world where actually the values in this nation are shifting so quickly and uh, uh, the, the, the concept of, of who is God is deeply in question. And so we've just done a massive national piece of research, as you for Christ, on how young people view spirituality and God and so on. And the results there are really fascinating. You could look at it and say, statistically, it's not good news. But actually, when you really dig into the detail, it's not that young people are dismissive of God. It's that God simply isn't on the radar. And so how do we go about presenting God in such a way that makes sense to a generation that have no concept of anything greater really than themselves and what they're presented with in the world around them. The fact that there's a creator out there who has made them. How do we do that? Matthew 28 says, go into all the world and make disciples. Mark 16 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. John 20 says, as the Father has sent me, I therefore send you. Acts 1 8 says, you'll be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The, the message is clear. The message is simple. We are commissioned. We are compelled. We are asked to go and to take Jesus. But how do we do that in a world that is changing so dramatically before us? And I would be bold enough to say, and I'll say it again in a minute, but I would be bold enough to say that we as a nation, as Christians in this nation, are losing confidence in sharing the gospel. How do we restore that confidence? What does that look like? And how do we go about taking this light into a very dark place at times? Well, when I was uh, 18, you will not be able to tell now, I know, but when I was 18, I was at sports college, and you had to, to get into this college, you had to be at national standards for something. My background was martial arts. I'd already given it up at that point, but I got in regardless because I was ranked number three in the country at 16, and so I was able to get in on that ticket. And I was among some of the... Um, most phenomenal athletes in the country, some of the most gifted people out there, but they lived very raw lives. They would come in every day, often with a hangover or still high on drugs, or they'd talk about who they'd been with the night before and what they'd done with that individual, and they would just make all sorts of wild and huge claims, and it was just a fascinating place to be, and as far as I could tell, I was the only Christian that I knew of on the campus. I just didn't come across anyone else. And so this was the place in which I was presented and being very eager and enthusiastic where I felt God had positioned me. And one day, the lecturer in one of the particular classes, he said, I want each of you to get up and to speak about a leisure industry here in Britain. Now, what he really meant was, I want you to speak about your leisure industry, your background, whatever that might be. But that is not what he said. What he actually technically said was, I want you to speak about a leisure industry. So the first person got up and he was an athlete and he talked about athletics here in Britain. The next person was a tennis player. He got up and spoke about the tennis industry. My turn came. I'm supposed to speak. Everyone's expecting me to speak on martial arts. I actually get up and say, I want to talk to you about a leisure industry that actually impacts about 12% of the population in this country. Many of you probably have no idea about it. It's called church. Every Sunday, 12% of the nation go to church. This is what happens in a church service. And I tell them all the things that happen. And I say, someone will get up and give a message. Let me give you a sample message uh, of what you might hear at church. And I then preach to the entire class. And I give it what for. 
And afterwards, when I finished, the lecturer is absolutely in shock and trauma. And the entire class, rather, I expected them to come to the front almost to make life decisions there and then. But actually, the very opposite seemed to happen. Every head went down, not in prayer, but in disgust at what I'd just done. And uh, uh, my impact that day was abysmal. It was ineffective. And I left there thinking, God, I am done with this preaching. I'm never going to preach again in my life. I'm strong on these claims and promises. I'm never going to do this in my life because it just simply doesn't work. Uh, Here's what I am going to do. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to belong to accountability group. I'm going to belong to church. I'm going to do this and the other. And I make these promises to Jesus, but I am not sharing you. And then I went about my business, and uh, I did uh, go to college every day, and I did all those things I promised to do in my Christian walk with Jesus. And at the end of my time, I'm walking down the corridor, and there's a group of my classmates, and they're in a huddle. And as I'm passing them, one of them lifts his head up, and he sees me and says, Ah, Neil, we were just talking about you. And I'm like, Really? And I don't know how you feel when people say that, but I'm not really wanting to hear what they say, but I'm too curious. So I'm like, okay, what were you saying? Well, we were saying that you are different. Now, I don't know what different means to you, but different to me usually is not positive. If, if, you, if you give me a meal and I really don't like it, I say, oh, thank you, that was different, which really means that's disgusting. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't enjoy that, but I'm not going to say that to you. I'm just going to say that's different. So I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, you, you're different because you never swear and you never uh, gossip about other people. You never talk badly about people. You never cl- make claims about who you slept with the night before because I wasn't sleeping with anyone. It wasn't hard. And, and they went through this long list of things that I never did. And I couldn't work out in their minds whether never was a good thing or never was a bad thing. I'm like, okay. And then they said, and we really like you. But what is it that makes you different? See, I stood up in front of my class and preached my heart out and nobody listened. I lived as a follower of Jesus and people started to ask, what is it that makes you different? Ravi Zachariah, the apologist, uh, said this. He said, people today listen with their eyes and they think with their hearts. People today listen with their eyes and they think with their hearts. And if that really is the case, then that has to impact the way in which we share Jesus. It just has to. But John Stott said this, the uh, other famous theologian. Um, There are many, but he is one, uh, no longer with us. And he said this, nothing shuts the mouth, seals the lips, ties the tongue, like the poverty of our own spiritual experience. We do not bear witness for the simple reason we have no witness to bear. They're harsh words. That's a tough thing to say. But I wonder at times whether actually there could be an element of truth for us where we're wrestling. Because as I said this morning, one of the greatest challenges in this nation right now, I think, is in the area of discipleship, of what it means to actually be totally and utterly sold out for Jesus. What does that mean today in our context? How do we do that? And I think discipleship is key to evangelism, by the way. Very, very, very rarely does evangelism become before discipleship. Usually evangelism comes out of discipleship. The way we live our lives and journey with people, we're evangelizing through the way in which we are following Jesus. But what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, the actual translation from Greek to English is most closely related, as you know, to the word apprentice. An apprentice is someone who is learning a trade. 
The very first reference in the book of Acts to people who followed Jesus wasn't Christians. It was people of the way. And I believe, therefore, a Christian is someone who is learning the ways of Jesus. And people are watching us do exactly that. But one of the greatest challenges for us today, and I talked about value structures and systems changing in this nation, one of the greatest challenges for us today is in the area of relativism. And relativism is a real challenge for us because at the heart of relativism is tolerance. And tolerance teaches tolerate everything except that which is intolerant. Accept everything except that which is accepting. Take on everything that is inclusive except that which is excluding. And then you should come down on that which is intolerant, that which is excluding, that which isn't accepting. And you should be as intolerant as you can be to that. And you should crush it and destroy it because something which is intolerant in society has no right to exist anymore. We should only embrace that which is inclusive. And so what's happened in the last 20 odd years is that we got nervous around this and we've thrown evangelism out of the window. And what do I mean by that? I mean, at the heart of evangelism is John 14, where it says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that makes us super nervous because that in many ways is an excluding statement. The only way you're going to get into heaven is through Jesus. Society is never going to welcome that. That is a tough one to swallow because surely all roads will lead to heaven. But that isn't what Jesus said. And so we repositioned ourselves because we're nervous about how we sit in society today. And we've thrown evangelism out and we've replaced it with mission. And at the heart of mission is love God and love others. So we go out into society, and I'm not saying this is wrong at all, but we go out into society and we love on in society and we do kind acts within our context. But so often we don't actually tell people why we're doing that and what motivates us for doing that. Because it isn't just that we want to love on people, we want to love on people because we are loved by a God who loves us and has changed us. And this has absolutely caused a level of change in how we share in society. Because, as I said earlier, we are losing confidence in how to do that in a world which is changing on its value system and structure. So what do we do and how do we go about this? Well, when we came back from overseas after living for 18 or more years overseas, uh, within a month of arriving back in Britain, we were back at the airport where we were taking Jake, our oldest son, to put him back on a plane and send him to the States to study in America because his education had been in the States. And uh, as we are at the airport, we'd been together as a family. Now, here's the thing. We've lived in four, five countries. And so when you do that, you don't have many friends. So the only way to be effective in having relationships is to grow them and have them as children. And they become your community. And so when we were at the airport saying goodbye to Jake, we were losing a valued friend, a member of our community. And the girls grab him and they don't want to let him go. And he's got a plane to get. And my moment comes and I grab my boy and I bring him in and I say, Jake, if you forget everything I've ever told you, remember this one thing. And I go on to tell him what I think is the most important thing he needs to remember. And then he's gone. And I think we see a very similar thing play out in John 15. I think Jesus has left the upper room and he's going to the garden of Gethsemane. And as he's going there, Gethsemane, sorry, Garden of 
Good to see you. I'm tired. It's been a long day. Thank you. As he's going there, he is going through a vineyard. As he goes through the vineyard, he stops the guys. He says, guys, guys, come here, come here. Do you see that vine? Can you see the vine, guys? And, 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 and they say, yes. And he says, guys, you are like that vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. And when you are connected to me, you bear fruit. But on your own, you're just a branch and you bear nothing. Only by being connected to me, which is the life source, can you bear fruit and have an impact. And if Jesus were to walk in here today, I think he'd give a different example. He'd say, guys, guys, come here, come here. Do you see, do you see that light bulb there? You are that light bulb. And when you're connected to the power source, you light up the room. But when you're not connected to the power source, you're just a glass bulb. The power source, guys, is me. You need to be connected to me. When you're connected to me comes power and impact. And so my question is, where is the power and where is the impact in our lives? Because that's what's going to make a difference. It isn't what we say. It isn't what we do. It's who we're connected to that will make the impact in our world and our society. So let me put it in a different context for you. When I was the area director for Asia Pacific Youth for Christ, I oversaw anywhere from Afghanistan right through to Fiji and Samoa with India and China in between it. And so it was a fairly big area. And we worked, we worked with uh, uh, the persecuted church in Central Asia and we had a plan to develop young evangelists. And I remember bringing a whole load together in Central Asia from various stand nations. And we were in the safest country, but it still had restrictions. And we trained them up in evangelism. And part of the training was that on one of the days, they had to put into practice that which they had been taught. Now, I didn't ask any questions around what we were going to do that day. I just did the other training and just trusted the local guy on what that would mean and how that would play out. And the bus is outside, and the young evangelists, 12 of them, very biblical, they get on the bus. And as I'm getting on the bus, I see a, 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 an officer from the army, and I'm, and I'm really uh, uh, quite direct, and I say, who's that? And the Youth for Christ guy says, oh, that's a, ma a major who's in charge of all the prisons in this country. So I say, oh, are we going to prison today? And he said, yes, we're going to go to prison. So I said, what kind of prison are we going to? We're going to a young offenders prison. So everyone's under the age of 18. He said, yes. And I said, great. And so we get on the bus and off we go. And I just didn't apply my brains at all. We arrive at the prison. The doors open. The guys get off. They are just so excited about putting into practice that which they've been taught. They're almost skipping into prison. And I get off. And as I'm getting off, my brain kicks into gear. This is a country where it is illegal to share your faith with anyone under the age of 18. We are going into a government facility where everybody is under the age of 18 to share our faith. There's something not good about this scenario. And so I'm like, oh no. By this point, all of the young evangelists are through security and they're on the other side waving at me and then they're gone. I'm like, uh, this is not good. This is not going to go well. Uh, so I, I go up to the security guy and he says, passport. And there are two things that I never have given, I've always had on me and would never give away whenever I travel. That was my phone uh, to be able to text my wife for moments like this and say, darling, I'm in prison, pray for me. Uh, and the uh, other was my passport so I could get out. And he's like, give me your phone, give me your passport. I'm like, I don't want to. And he says, well, you're not getting in. So I reluctantly give it to him, go through security 
I'm on the other side. We go into a room, and then the uh, soldiers bring in about 50 young people, and they look incredibly broken, uh, people between the age of about 11 through to 16, 17. And as they come in, they're watching us, and I'm thinking, what is going to happen? The Youth for Christ local guy gets up, and he starts to talk about all of the social action things that we did in that country, the orphanages, etc. And I'm there thinking, this is so irrelevant to them. There's nothing he's saying that is going to make any difference to their lives. Why is he sharing on this? And I think, oh, no, I know why he's sharing on it. Because he can't talk about Jesus. Why are we here? And then he looks at me and he says, Neil, do you have anything to say? I'm like, no, I, I don't want to say anything. No, I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, at which point I then catch the eyes of a 16-year-old boy and there was something about his gaze that reminded me of my own story. And I stood up and I said, actually, I do want to share. And I started to give my full version of my testimony um, to the room. And the guards at the back, suddenly they come and sit at the front and they're totally absorbed in the story and they're listening and they're, 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 they're taking in what's being said. And I'm fully going for it. And then I realize I have a problem. My problem is I know how my story ends. My story ends with me becoming a Christian. What am I going to do? How am I going to twist this so I don't do that? How do I get around this so that I don't get into trouble? And then I just think, you know what? I'm already in prison. I don't have far to go, so I'm just going just gonna to go for it. So I do. I go for it, and I share the gospel, and I give them an opportunity to respond to Jesus. And young people in that prison were responding to him in that moment. And as I close my eyes and I'm praying for them, I feel this pain in my leg. I, I open my eye and it's the, 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 the local guy, the local Youth for Christ guy who's nudging me saying, we need to go. You, you, you've gone too far here. So I'm like, finish my prayer real quick. I gather up the 12 young evangelists who are absolutely useless. They didn't do anything at all. And we head to, uh, uh, to get to the bus. I pick up my passport and my phone. I'm delighted. We get everyone on the bus. And we are leaving the car park. And as we're leaving the car park, I kid you not, the bus is surrounded by soldiers. And uh, at that point, I'm a little nervous. Uh, there's a bang on the door. We open the door, and the major from the prison gets onto the bus. And we're waiting to see what she's going to say. And she looks at us, and I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? And she says, could you give me a ride back to the city? And we're like, of course, come on in. And she gets on the bus, we close the door, and we leave. And I'm on the front row, and as we're driving by, I feel this pain in the back of my head where she's nudged me. And I don't know how you would feel about being nudged in the back of the head. I was somewhat irritated. And I'm just, yes. And she said, uh, she said, was your story true? Now, I was so tempted to say, no, I'm a pathological liar. But it was a great story, wasn't it? Um, and I didn't. I said, yes, it was true. And she said, well, I'm a Muslim, and I'm really struggling in my faith. And I was really interested in what you were talking about, and I'd like to know more. And so we talk about who Jesus is as we're driving back. And we come to the stop where she's getting off. And as we pull up, she looks at us and she said, I really like you, and I like this organization that you stand for. And I'm willing to open up every single prison in this country for you, for Christ, to come in and for you to talk about your faith whenever you want to. And then she said, but you know what? Everyone overlooks the military guys, those who are between the ages of 18 to 25. Would you be willing to come into our army barracks and talk about who Jesus is? 
You see, when we do the possible, then God can do the impossible. When we say, God, I'm here, I'm yours, you use me as you want to use me, do whatever you want to do, then he will take us literally at our availability. And my question is, how available are you to him moving in and through you? And how connected are you to the power source? Because it's only when we're connected to that source will we see a difference. It will never be through our own efforts because they will come to nothing. But when we are connected to him, we will see a dynamic difference. But it's only in him, it's not us. It's always him and our connection to him. In ourselves, it's a waste of time. But in him comes the fruit. So let me uh, come to a conclusion, if I may. And my, uh, the national director to remove, the guy called Roy Crown, would tell a story. And I don't know if this story is true, but I love it. So I'm just going to go with it as if it is. He, uh, and I'm not questioning him either. He's a great guy. Um, he has said that he was one day greeted by a drug dealer. And a drug dealer said, you know what, you and I were in the same business. To which Roy said, what do you mean we're in the same business? And he said, well, we're both in the business of reaching young people. But the thing is, uh, you want to reach them for Jesus, and we were wanting to reach them for drugs. And, uh, and Roy's like, okay. And he said, but here really is the thing. We are so much better at it than you are. To which Roy, who's very competitive, said, what do you mean you're better at it than we are? And he says, well, we are. Because we are in every classroom. And we are on every playground, and we're on every street corner, and we're on every bus, and we're on every housing estate. Wherever you find young people, you will find us, and where are you? You're sat in your church buildings waiting for young people to come to you, but they're simply not coming. We are mandated to go out into the world and to take his good news because he changes lives. In the way he's changed your life, in the way he's changed my life, he can change anyone else out there and bring light, truth, and transformation into their context. And we have to. We have to take that seriously. Why do we have to take that seriously? Because in Romans 10, uh, verses 9 through to 15, and I'll read it for you. It reminds us exactly why we have to take it seriously. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. And as the scriptures tell us, anyone, anyone who believes in him will not be disappointed. Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They all have the same Lord who generously gives his riches to all who ask for them. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is what the scriptures mean when they say how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Romans 1:16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. In a shifting society where their values and the values of society are changing greatly from what would be traditional Christian Judeo values, it's difficult for us to stand up and talk about who Jesus is. But the mandate hasn't changed. The good news hasn't changed. Its impact hasn't changed. We just need to be connected to the power source. We need to be connected to Jesus. And we need to be bold and take opportunities. Whether they be small, gentle ones. We need to be consistently sharing Jesus. Because we know that Jesus changes lives. And to that end, we are requested 
and we are commanded to go into society. Let me pray for you, if I may. Lord, I thank you that you have called us to be your witnesses. You have called us to make disciples. You have called us to preach the good news. You are sending us into a broken, hurting world. Lord, may we not hold back. May we shine you wherever we go. May we faithfully take you into all contexts and speak out who you are. May we demonstrate with our lives, but may we also declare with our words who you are. But Lord, more than anything else, may we not even do any of that unless we're connected to you. Because Lord, in our own efforts, it's just for nothing. But when we're connected to you, will come the fruit. And Lord, may we see the fruit. May you burn brightly in and through us. And Lord, I pray for this community. I pray this community will see the light of who you are in and through each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray for stories to come in the days and weeks ahead of when we have stepped out and seen you at work. Lord, may there be so many who come to know you because we have taken this seriously. Lord, thank you that in our proximity are people who are desperately in need of you. May you give us the words to say and may you prompt us to act in that way I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that the, um, the, the message that we've received this evening, um, the, the proper response to the message is not something that we can actually do here. The response is, is, is tomorrow, isn't it? Or when we go to our homes and so on and so on. But I think it would be right for us to do, as it were, a response that speaks to our coming response. And we heard, didn't we, this evening of how it is that we can do the possible to invite God to do the impossible. Does that sound like good, uh, good news to anybody? Is anybody excited by the, the prospect of doing the possible so that God might come and do the impossible? I'm pretty excited by the prospect of that. And you'll know that within our church, one of the three things that we're longing for from God is that we might grow in our confident personal witness. And um, when, we, when we hosted the, uh, the, the Billy Graham Association, the Christian Life and Witness course the other day, um, they mentioned this prayer and, and the prayer was something along the lines of, God, um, would you open doors? And would you open minds of the folks I might talk to? And God, would you open my mouth? I thought that was a good prayer. Thought, Our mouths need opening, don't you think? Our mouths need opening. And, and so I'm going to invite you this evening. This is not the real response. The real response is, is tomorrow when you're in work or school or in your homes or streets or wherever it is. But I think it'd be right for us to have a response that we're going to respond. Do you understand what I mean? And I'm going to keep it super simple. Um, in a moment or two, I'm going to ask you, if, if you are willing to say, yes, God, I want to do the possible so that you might come and do the impossible, I'm going to invite you to stand. And, and I'm going to invite Neil, if he doesn't mind, just to come back and speak a word of commission over us um, as, as we go from here. But if that's you this evening and you're saying absolutely yes, I want to pray that prayer, but I recognize a big part of that is God open my mouth that I might do the possible to welcome your impossible. If there's anyone here tonight and you're saying, yeah, I'll, I'll do the possible, would you stand with me? And we're going to invite God's grace and his, his power 
over us. And, and Neil, would you perhaps just speak a word of Christ's commission over us? Thank you. Lord, your word says it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. And so, Lord, we invite your spirit here now to touch each and every person. Fill them to overflowing. And, Lord, may they take you into every context that they go. And, Lord God, would you give them a boldness and a sensitivity to your spirit's leading. And, Lord, may they see great things to come. Bless them, I ask, in Jesus' name.